Welcome to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hanson, hosted by attorneys Sean Garner and Adam Hanson. Good morning, Yuma. This is Life, Death, and the Law. I'm Sean Garner with Deason, Garner, and Hanson. I'm an attorney. I do estate planning. I'm in studio here with Adam Hanson, my partner in the firm, and Cody Beeson, who is running the boards. So we're going to talk this morning about some digital currency and other issues and a lot of uh, acronyms that I'm still getting used to. Uh, ESG, Environmental Social Governance, CBDC, Central Bank, Digital Currency, CRT. A lot of us have heard about that, but uh, Critical Race Theory, Social Credit Score. uh, That was actually newer to me. So all of these issues are coming up, and they're, they're coming in rapid succession, almost too fast for someone like me, who tries to keep up on the news, I spend probably an hour and a half um, reading up on news headlines and what's going on in the world, and I'm still, I feel like I'm behind the curve on these things. So um, let's let's start out with talking about, I think, what the most, one of the scariest topics is, and that is CBDC. That is Central Bank Digital Currency. Now, if if you think back, I don't know, it was probably about a year and a half ago where there was a proposal that uh, banks disclose uh, to the federal government uh, all the transactions that occurred in each individual's bank account. And there was big opposition to that. Is this the $600 one? Yes, every yeah. transaction over $600. And, and it's currently a law that if you pay anybody $600 as an independent contractor for any goods or services then you have to issue a 1099 to them and you have to report them to the IRS so the IRS can make sure they're on their records to collect taxes from them. Um, So that's currently a law. But what they wanted to do is take it further and say, well, rather than trusting the the American public to follow the guidelines and the rules, um, we're going to just look directly into their bank accounts. So any transaction that amounts to $600, and that basically means any transaction, and that got very, very scary, and there was some big opposition to it, and it failed. What we have now as the alternative proposal is the CBDC, the Centralized Bank Digital Currency. This comes right on the heels of a digital currency market, a, a large one, failing. You know, you'll remember that Sam Bankman-Fried, who is the founder of SPF Digital Currency, has filed bankruptcy. He's under indictment. He's pending criminal charges because of his political backing. He's not sitting in jail. He's out on house arrest. And of course, his houses that he's in are million dollar mansions. But despite all of that, despite the fact that digital currency still has to prove itself to the general public that it can be resilient and uh, it it can earn the public's trust. And more importantly, that the public can choose to get involved in it as opposed to be forced to use it. Now, I have clients as an estate planning attorney. My average client is about 65, 70 years old and really likes cash transactions. I get offered probably on a weekly basis to pay my attorney's fees in cash. And I like that. I think that's the good old boy system. I think they earn the cash. They can pay for it. They don't want anybody else knowing what they're doing with their money. And that's absolutely fine. That's what a free society is all about. You earn your money fairly 
through a good, honest day of work, and you can buy whatever you want with your money. And we don't want the government tracking you. We don't want some um, arbitrary credit score being associated with you. And if, if they're beyond the point where they need a credit score to buy a house or a car, they just want to use cash for their transactions, they ought to be allowed to do that. Now, the government has been trying to pull cash out of our day-to-day transactions by using more of a digital system. Now, banks offer that, and, and I use it quite oftenly. In fact, I, I, I rarely carry cash in my wallet. I carry credit cards. And understandably, credit cards can be tracked. And if there was a subpoena, if there was probable cause and a court order that uh, they could have a search warrant over my transactions, then yes, my spending habits could be tracked. But I voluntarily participated in that system. And until now, I can voluntarily withdraw from that system. But what the government is proposing now with this centralized banking digital currency is to take cash out of the the market as, as a means of buying goods and services and requiring digital currency. And the concept is, well, if we do this central digital currency theme, it's going to be much more efficient. And here's the kicker, it's environmentally, environmentally friendly. Think of all the trees we could save. Think of all the fabric that we could save by not printing all those wasteful dollars. What we're, th- what we're talking about here is extremely scary for the reason that the government can control not only the currency, more, I mean, it already controls the currency, right? It already issues dollars into the system. But it controls the currency in a way that it can see every dollar that's spent. And if it can do that, then it can make it more difficult for you to spend dollars on certain items that they want to prohibit. For example, guns or, let's say, conservative movements. Or, or you want to voice your opinion about something. Right. Or you want to travel and they say, well, no, you, your carbon footprint is quite large already. We don't think you need to go to Hawaii. We think you ought to have a staycation. But we're going to go to this World Economic Forum over in Davos and we're going to fly our private jets there. But you need to stay home because we're going to conserve fossil fuels. And so they're going to they're looking at your spending history, give you some type of social score on how good of a citizen you are. And this, so if you think your credit score is restrictive on how well you can function in society, think about a more overarching social credit score. And I hadn't even really understood this concept at all until, Cody, you explained it a little bit to me. Give us a brief synopsis of what the social credit score is all about. Well, I'm, I'm just looking at what they have implemented in China. And if you speak out against the government, that, you know, costs you points. And if you lose so many points or you fall below a certain threshold, you can't travel. You can't apply for certain government jobs. I mean, it really uh, hampers your life. You, you were explaining to me earlier about the social credit score. I hadn't even really heard about that. I know our, our economic credit score can really restrict our ability to purchase and participate in the economy purchase a house, purchase a car, get good insurance. And on the court system, you can't get a bond to participate as a personal representative of an estate. Now, that's something that people don't participate in every day, but I see that because your credit score affects a lot of things. And now um, the government is expanding that, not our government yet, 
but governments of the world have looked into expanding that credit score to a social credit score to de- determine how good of a person you are. And of course, who sets the standards for a good person would be the government itself. So China has done this, and you've looked into that a little bit. Right. So like, if you engage in charity work, if you donate blood, if you uh, influence your neighborhood in a positive way, or you take care of your elderly family members, that will... That all sounds like good things. Why, are... why shouldn't we be judged by our government based on how good a person we are. What's the harm of that? Right. Well, that allows you to buy a plane ticket now. Okay. <laughs> you know what other what other criteria is on there? Did I... uh, so if you if you voice your opinion against or for the government, that's good. But if you're against the government on social media or in person, if you protest, uh, you can lose the right to, like I said, uh, get a job with the government or travel or go to a certain school. Traffic offenses like jaywalking um, can can work against you. So presumably, over the past two years, I haven't been really optimistic in voicing my approval about uh, the government. And so my social credit score might not be too good if that were implemented in the United States. What's your your opinion on Taiwan or Hong Kong, you know? Like, that will affect your credit score. And so if, if the government disagrees with my opinion... They may say you have free speech, but you're also going to be penalized depending on what you say. Is that free speech? So your kids can't go to that university now. Ouch. Like that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. And, uh, or, and you, you combine that with this central bank digital currency, you might not be eligible to get the loan for the new home that you want to buy or the new business that you want to start. Or if the business that you want to start Um, isn't consistent as a law firm that advocates for mm, estate planning that avoids government involvement in transferring wealth, they might not be too hot on that idea. And so they might not give you a small business loan to get your business off the ground. We need to take a break. This is 560 AM KBLU, Life, Death, and the Law. More thought-provoking conversation coming up next on Life, Death, and the Law, right here after this. Hey, you, my Dave Ramsey here. If you listen to our show or know anything about us, then you know I only recommend products and services I trust and I believe in. That's why when it comes to protecting your assets and planning for your loved one's future, you've got to call my friends Sean Garner and Adam Hansen at the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen. I encourage you to take the first step and attend a free, no-pressure seminar and learn all of your options. The firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen has been educating the Yuma community for over 40 years, and this is the only area of law that they practice. Sean and Adam believe in giving free education to help people make smart decisions about their assets and help them leave a legacy for their family that they can be proud of. Schedule a free personal consultation today. Call 783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hanson, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back, Yuma. This is Life, Death, and the Law. I'm Sean Garner, attorney with Deason, Garner, and Hanson. Here with my partner, Adam Hansen, we do estate planning. We help people organize their assets. Number one, 
identify all the assets that they have. It's easy over time to continue to open up bank accounts or to um, open up credit cards, to have investments in different locations and to forget exactly where they are, especially when it comes to life insurance policies that you purchased either for yourself or for your kids 10, 20 years ago. And so what we help you do is organize all of your assets and make a roadmap so you can follow it. Number one, you know where all of your assets are. Consolidate them if you want to or just know where they are and, and use them for the things that you want to do. And then moreover, leave a legacy for your children that enables you to transfer those assets to your children without court intervention, without probate. And when you get those assets organized in the binders that we present, and we've used these thousands of times and had great success. We've had people literally in tears leaving our office, and they're good tears. They're tears of of joy and relief of having this burden off of their back that they can rest at ease knowing where their things are and that somebody they have confidence in is going to be able to follow up and pick up where they left off if something were to happen to them. And uh, so that's a, that's a great feeling in and of itself, just having all of your assets and your affairs in order. And furthermore, when you pass away, knowing that your, your family is not going to be left in turmoil, disputing who gets what and who's in charge of dividing it up, or especially the government involved in that decision-making process. So we have seminars coming up discussing those options. It's not just a one... Uh, size fits all for our clients. In fact, everybody we recognize as individual, and we want to sit down with each person that is truly interested in getting their affairs in order to determine what type of outline of an estate plan would work for you, and we do that for free. But if you attend our seminar, you will be prepared to come to that consultation with questions in mind so we can actually have the most efficient, productive consultation possible. The seminars are this week, Thursday, at the Yuma Main Library at 10.30 a.m. So that's Thursday the 30th at 10.30 a.m. at the Yuma Main Library, and Friday at 2.30 p.m., that's March 31st, 2.30 p.m. You need to call our office or go online to RSVP, the last three that we've held have booked out. So we've had to turn away the people that came too late or showed up at the door without an RSVP. So please call or go online to book your seat. We have limited seatings for those. I believe at the Yuma Main Library, we can only seat about 40 people. And at the Foothills Library, it's up to 75 people. But again, those seats fill up quickly. So please Go online to yuma.law and, uh, or call us at 783-4466, 928-783-4466, and you can RSVP to sit down and understand what your planning options are. Now let's get back to government control over our lives. Yeah, in the last segment, Sean, you were talking about centralized banking digital currencies and uh the short form is that of that is CBDCs. Why did you bring that up? I mean, is that something that you're worried about here in the United States? Well, yeah, Ron DeSantis just last week is wanting to pass a bill. Obviously, it would be in the, in the Florida legislature that would pass the bill, and then he would sign it into law that bans digital currency 
from the central bank in Florida. He says, this is such a dangerous concept that we have to take a grassroots level approach to banning it. So in Florida, he's working towards supporting a bill that would be signed by him banning this digital currency because he sees it for what it is, control over consumer spending and implementing a narrative and agenda of the prevailing party in, in government at the time. And right now, it's not just elected officials. What's scarier than than that is that it's it's generally agencies which are non-elected officials that have zero accountability to us making these decisions. That's exactly right. So we talk about the ATF a lot here, and uh, that would make me really, really fearful of my freedoms, my constitutional freedoms to bear arms. If there was a central currency that, if you have the ATF that can see every transaction that I'm making at Sprague's or at another gun shop here in town, no longer do we need to fill out forms and report those things that we're buying to the ATF. They already know because they're tracking every every uh, purchase that we're making in our bank accounts. And that's one of the legitimate fears of a centralized banking system that uses digital currencies to replace fiat currencies that we currently use. One of the fears is that the government can oversee that and they can see everything that we're doing, all these transactions. So a few weeks ago when these uh, banks started to collapse – the uh, Silicon Valley Bank, what a lot of people did was they ran to the bank and withdrew their money like as fast as possible. When you withdraw a certain amount of money, it needs to be reported to the IRS if it's over a certain amount. I think it's $10,000. Does that sound about right? Yeah. Something like that. So if I'm going to pull out $10,000 out of my bank account of my money- Or deposit it. Or deposit it. I have to tell the IRS- that in a form. You fill out this little form. The bank does too. Yeah. Yeah. So they fill it out for you and they ask you the questions. And, and I mean, well, it's my money. Like what, what does it matter to you? Well, they're looking for racketeering and fraud and things like that. Um, some sort of, uh, issues with crime that might be happening, like financial crimes or, or something like that. I mean, that, that's what they're saying. But in reality, that's an infringement, I think on my freedom. I, if it's my money in my bank account, I have the right to take it out. Almost like you have to prove your innocence first. Yeah, and the pro- the problem with that is I, a lot of the reason, there are many reasons why these banks collapsed a few weeks ago. But one of those big reasons was because people rushed to the bank and they withdrew their money, knowing that they probably have to fill out some sort of form to the government to report that, hey, I'm taking out more than this amount that I'm allowed uh, or without reporting. And they didn't care. They wanted their money out even if they had to fill out a form. Well, in a centralized banking system that uses digital currency instead of fiat currency, then the government that's regulating that, the centralized banking system that's regulating that, can see every transaction at any time. What it's In addition to Netflix and Pizza Hut and Dairy Queen, they're also going to see me going to Sprague's and buying a gun. They're going to see me going, I don't know, to Mexico and buying stuff. They can see every transaction that I'm, I'm doing. And that's that's an infringement of privacy, I would argue, you know, and I think we we through the pandemic started to see, hopefully, I think there's still some out there that think that the government knows everything and they're all all powerful, that the CDC is, you know, some miracle worker, some magician, some crystal ball looking into type of entity that can tell us everything we need to know about our health <clears throat> and how to avoid dying. Um, I I I don't believe that, but maybe you do. I don't believe the government 
knows exactly what I should do with my money or has a right to tell me what to do with my money. Um, if I'm putting it in my bank account, I want to use it for whatever I want to use it for. And I don't want to tell anybody about it because that's my right to privacy under our constitution. Right. So, what if I walked up to you and I said, Hey, can I see your bank statement? And I don't want just the, the front page that says how much you have in your bank account. I want to see your bank statement that has an itemized uh, description of everything that you purchased. I mean, the right to privacy there is blown out the window. I can see every item that you purchased. I can see basically your relationship between you and your wife based on the items that you purchased, your relationship outside of that, the relationship between your kids, the travel that you make, what type of uh, political beliefs you have by the subscriptions that you subscribe to. A lot of that's already on the Internet to the extent that if we knew all of it, a lot of us would be more fearful but this is just opening the floodgates. And there was an attempt at this already with um, this disinformation governance board that was attempted to be implemented by the Biden administration where there was going to be an information czar. Uh, it was like Nina Jankovic. And her job was to determine what was disinformation, misinformation, malinformation. And they, of course... The government had already been doing that with the FBI squashing the Hunter Biden laptop story, but this would give them much broader overarching power to determine what speech was allowable because if it was disinformation, then it would no longer fit under the free speech clause of the First Amendment because it's misinformation and potentially harmful. And what they couch it under is harmful to security and the public safety of citizens of the United States or more broadly because they don't just limit it to citizens because more and more of the population in the United States are non-citizens because we have a million migrants coming over about every six months that are non-documented individuals. I don't even know what the politically correct term anymore of that is, but illegal immigrants coming over to the United States. And so we can't say anything. And this is under the Department of Homeland Security that would run that governance board. And that governance board was unable to get off the ground because they determined that they were unable to properly uh, address disinformation and censor disinformation. Not that they couldn't identify it because they knew what they liked to hear and what they didn't like to hear, but it was that they couldn't adequately censor it and filter it. And so because they couldn't keep it from the American public well enough, they just pulled the program, when in reality I think the program was highly unpopular from the beginning and unconstitutional and a violation of our free speech right under the First Amendment, and that's why it failed. But uh, nonetheless, they're always trying to get more and more authority over what we can say and what we can do. Now, in a modern society like ours, we no longer barter and trade for good services. We don't trade you know, a cow for our field being plowed, right? Which may have been in an agrarian system a couple hundred years ago, right? Maybe even 500 years ago, that would be the system, right? I, I thought you were going to say a wife, a cow for a wife. A I'll give you eight cows for, for, for your daughter. That's An eight cow wife. Yeah, 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 yeah. okay. Um, no, I wasn't. Uh, your wife's not an eight cow wife. 
I'm not going to comment on that one. <laughs> <laughs> that might be still be done today in Samoan culture. I don't know. It might. And, and, I, and I guarantee there's still a lot of bartering going on today in other cultures. But in our society here, we use currency. We use dollars, but dollars, they're, they're dying out. You don't see cash very often anymore. And it's scary because then everything can be tracked. And, you know, a lot of our clients, they don't like that. They don't use credit cards all that often except for big purchases like airline tickets or, you know, purchasing cars and things like that. In fact, we went to go purchase a car about two years ago, and I attempted to use cash, and they said no. And I said, cash? You would think that I would get a better deal for cash. This is money in your pocket. And they, they, in fact, not only wouldn't let us use cash because it would create a problem with their depositing because they have to make out those reports, but um, they incentivized us to use credit instead and uh, gave us a $1,000 discount on the purchase of our car if we used credit. Now, that's, that's a private business decision, and I'm okay with that. What I'm not okay with is that the government is saying you must do this. You cannot use cash anymore or your bank or your credit card of your choice. You're going to use the central bank digital currency. Just the sound of that sends chills down my spine. A central bank digital currency. The government isn't very good at doing anything. The private sector does better at everything when compared to the government. The only thing that the government does well is defense of our country. They make missiles well. They make tanks well. They make jets well. Now, whether or not they're spending their money and getting their dollars worth, there would be an argument there. But the military force that we have here in the United States is is the greatest in the world, and they do that well. But that's really because they don't really have any competition on the private sector. We're not allowed to privately purchase tanks and purchase missiles and things like that. I think if we were, you'd have people like Elon Musk showing the United States government that they're spending 100 times too much for technology that is behind the curve. Okay, I digress a little bit. So what makes you think that if they can't do anything else well, run a business, I wouldn't trust the government to run a McDonald's. If you don't trust that, why would we trust them to run our digital currency? If Sam Bankman-Fried, who's apparently this genius out of Stanford, goes bankrupt in a couple of years and is corrupt to the core and funneling all of his money to one political party, what makes you think the government isn't going to do that too? We got to go to break. This is Life, Death, and the Law, 560 AM KBLU. More thought-provoking conversation coming up next on Life, Death, and the Law, right here after this. My Dave Ramsey here. If you listen to our show or know anything about us, then you know I only recommend products and services I trust and I believe in. That's why when it comes to protecting your assets and planning for your loved one's future, you've got to call my friends Sean Garner and Adam Hansen at the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen. I encourage you to take the first step and attend a free, no-pressure seminar and learn all of your options. The firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen has been educating the Yuma community for over 40 years, and this is the only area of law that they practice. Sean and Adam believe in giving free education to help people make smart decisions about their assets and help them leave a legacy for their family that they can be proud of. 
schedule a free personal consultation today. Call 783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hanson, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back. This is Life, Death, and the Law, 560 AM KBLU. I'm attorney Adam Hanson. I'm with my my friend and my partner, Sean Garner, uh, the other attorney in our office, and we've got Cody Beeson. He's running the boards. And in the last couple of segments, we've been talking about this idea of a central banking digital currency system. And uh, Sean, you mentioned last week how Governor Ron DeSantis down in, in uh, Florida is trying to get some legislation passed to disallow that type of a system in his state of Florida. And my question was, well, why? What's so bad about this? And as I thought about it a little bit more, one of the biggest legitimate fears that I have about this type of system is the constant surveillance from a government body over every transaction that I make. If we go to a system that has a digital currency centralized in a banking system that our government's overseeing, they can see every transaction that I make. Now, am I doing anything wrong or illegal? I'm not, but still, it's an invasion personally of my privacy. That's how I feel. Constitutionally, that's how I feel. And uh, I'm going to use two examples, one nonfiction and one fiction. I'm going to try and marry these ideas together of the legitimate fear that I have of this type of a system. And I think Governor DeSantis is doing the right thing in Florida, and I think we here in Arizona ought to implement this as well. Will we? Will we? I seriously doubt it because of the the current uh, governor. Oh, where's your faith in Katie Hobbs? Come on. You don't okay. think that she'll want to push back against the, the system? I didn't, Honestly, I didn't know she was alive. I haven't heard anything about her since she was elected. Um, so I, I don't have a lot of faith in the governor of Arizona right now, but just because I haven't seen her even out and about and doing anything. So um, maybe she'll surprise us. We'll see. Having said that... Getting back to my two examples. So one of the examples that I want to use is uh, that of nonfiction. So years ago, Sean, and you and I both have six children. And so we've been through that birthing process many times. Well, our wives have. We were right there by their sides, gaining weight <laughs> and uh, going through the birthing process. What's interesting to me is that years ago, um, so my wife loves to shop at Target what wife does not, um, but she loves to shop at Target. Years ago, there was a report that came out that Target was able to accurately determine mm. that a woman was pregnant before she even knew because of her buying choices mm-hmm. and because they, they track everything you do, especially if you have one of those Target cards. So because Target's overseeing all that, they could see trends of women as they're buying different products and they started to buy certain products and lo and behold, they knew that, that that woman was actually pregnant before she knew it because of the products that she was buying. And um, so that's one idea that's actually true. When there are analysis, analyses that can be done to determine different trends of how a per, what a person's buying and their tendencies and their choices are leading to some sort of decision that they might make. Right. Right. What you may be doing might not even be illegal, but it might be private and it it might be something that you don't want to be spread in the public. And so if the government knew that information and wanted to have some leverage against you, then they could blackmail you. 
And do we put that beyond the government to do so? Absolutely not. If you were doing something with your money that was completely legal, but you wanted to keep it confidential, which all of us do, none of us want to publish our bank statements out there for the world to see, then um, the government could come out there and say, well, so you buy these types of products, huh? You having issues with hemorrhoids? You having issues with, you know, what? No. <laughs> right? And I'm like, no, no, I use I use that hemorrhoid cream for the bags under my eyes. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> oh, you can do that? <laughs> That's my excuse. <laughs> and uh, so that would be embarrassing. And, and they could use that information against us generally as a public, but even scarier against their political opponents to push forward their agenda, whatever it might be. Now, with Hillary Clinton, she had classified documents on her personal email server which were subpoenaed and she destroyed and she was supposed to get into trouble for that and that just kind of got brushed under the rug but the reason that she was able to withhold a lot of that initially or basically escape scrutiny from um, the attorney general was because she said well they're intertwined with my personal emails and and that at that time back in 2016 was honored as something private something that we protect we don't want your personal emails we only want the classified documents that you're keeping on your private server so go through and and separate those out and they allowed her the discretion to do that and then whoops they all got destroyed and then none of them got disclosed that was just i don't know 6 7 years ago that we recognize that personal information should be kept personal and not spread out to the government. If the government knows everything that we buy, then they know exactly what our lifestyle is. They know what people to cater to, to support their agenda. And uh, this overall big brother control of society is a reality. So I mentioned two different um, ideas. One was going to be fiction. One was going to be nonfiction. I talked about the target data tracking, where they can actually hone in on tendencies of their customer base based on what they're buying. And I mentioned this is a true thing. Most businesses, smart businesses, are using data that their customers are buying, uh, the products that their customers are buying in order to hone in on their buying tendencies so that they can better serve their clients is the argument, you know, but they can actually really hone in on their lifestyle choices and things like that. So that is a reality. Now you marry that with the fiction example that I'm going to share Years ago, there was a, I thought it was a pretty cool movie. I don't know about you, but it was called Minority Report and it had Tom Cruise. And if you remember that movie, what was the premise of that movie, Cody? You remember? Pre-crime, right? They, Pre-crime, yeah. yeah. So you, so they, in the future, had figured out a way to determine that this person is going to commit a crime before they commit a crime. And therefore, that gave them probable cause enough, sufficient enough to arrest that person. So now you marry that idea with what we're talking about with the central digital currency banking system, okay? So if they can track everything that we're doing, like a Target, like a Walmart, like these big organizations that use their data to determine trends of their customer base and know what that individual is going to do before they practically do it, and then you marry that with the idea of, wait a second, if this person is buying a tarp and they're buying a lot of bleach and they're buying guns or they're buying weapons or things that could be used to hurt somebody else. Let's go get them. Let's go get them before they commit a murder, 
right? So you can marry both those ideas together. And I don't think it's a far stretch that minority report pre-crime, like you called it, Cody, idea could be a reality, especially when you have a society that is convinced enough by our government that this is something that we need. And therefore we elect officials that say, hey, this is something we need. Of course, we need to we need to save everybody on the planet from harm, from uh, a mass shooting in a school, for example. Shootings are often the way that the government drums up support for restrictions on our gun rights that are granted to us and enumerated, unlike most things in our, in our daily lives, uh, our, the laws in our daily lives. Our gun rights are actually enumerated in our Constitution. And, uh, and so the government will use these gun control type legislation moves in the wake of typically a mass shooting or something like that. Well, if we can get that mass shooter before it ever happens, we're going to save all these casualties. And so it's worth it as a society to do that. That would be an argument from the government, right? Well, in reality, we don't know. We don't know if that person's actually going to go through with that type of an act or not. And it's really the act that, that uh, going back to crim law, criminal law and law school, Sean, you had to have what? Do you remember? Mens rea? Yeah. You had to have a bad intent. You have to have in your mind first, right? You have to premeditate something or you have to have the intent to commit a crime. Were you, was it sufficient enough just to think about killing somebody or stealing something or uh, breaking into somebody's home at night and stealing something, burglary? Nope. nope. Thinking about it was not against the law. Yeah. Right. Our thoughts are not against the law. It's the act, right? Yet. Yet. So, and that's exactly right, Cody. I think that's that's a fear that I'm worried about is the yet. If we were to implement a system where they can track everything that we're doing and it's trending that this person might commit a crime, well, therefore, we've got to go arrest them before that happens. I think that's a really scary place to be in our society. And I'd be very fearful of that happening because in reality, until a person create or does that act, they should not be held accountable, in my argument. So we think of things all the time. We think of good things, bad things. Some thoughts come into our mind, and uh, we obviously want to exercise control over our thoughts because our thoughts become our words, our words become our actions, our actions become our habits, and our habits determine our character and who we are. And uh, so certainly we want to... exercise control over our thoughts, but that's our personal autonomy to do that. And I think the biggest part of this this experiment here in life, or this experience, rather, that we, we are going through in life is a determination of how well we will govern ourselves, how well we will exercise self-control over our actions. We're not going to be judged on how well the government makes us be a good citizen. We're going to be judged on how well we exercise our agency to do good. And if the government's constantly poking and prodding us to do good and penalizing us every time we do bad and redefining what a crime is and redefining what being socially responsible is and environmentally conscious is, then we, we don't have any more autonomy to act for ourselves. I don't think that... The purpose of our existence, and I know this is getting a bit out there maybe philosophically, but we need, to, we need to think about that. Why are we here? Why does the earth exist? Does it exist for the purpose of nature? Nature exists for 
its own purpose, or does it exist to support life? And we make up a large portion of that life, in fact, the most important component of that life. There's a huge distinction between a human being and an animal. And I don't care how smart the animal is, okay? I don't care if the, the animal can communicate via sign language. There's a huge distinction. Humans have a conscience, and we are going to be judged based on our conscious decisions. We, as humans, can premeditate. Animals, maybe there are some minor arguments that say that they can premeditate, but for the most part, animals do not reason. They react. Animals have instincts. Humans reason. They learn and they exercise reason based on their conscience. And I believe that there's a, a very spiritual component to that. And so we are here as humans to exercise control over our actions using that conscience. And if we're told what to do and how we can interact with the environment and that we're actually just a cancer on this earth and the nature that exists in it because we create things and build things and don't let nature just run its course, then that is a very destructive mindset. We complement nature. We make things that are deserts bloom into farm fields that feed millions of people and produce um, additional habitat for animals and make the, the, the earth a more beautiful, habitable place. Now, we also create a lot of pollution and destruction. And so it's those two um, combating forces that we're working against. But we have to be allowed to decide what side we're on. So in the end, we can determine for ourselves if we're going to be a good person or a bad person and be judged by the God that we put our faith in. That's all the time that we have for today. Stay free, and we'll talk to you next week. If you have questions or want to know more about something that was discussed today, please call the law firm of Decent Garner, and Hanson at 928-783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com. Yuma, Dave Ramsey here. If you listen to our show or know anything about us, then you know I only recommend products and services I trust and I believe in. That's why when it comes to protecting your assets and planning for your loved one's future, you've got to call my friends Sean Garner and Adam Hansen at the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen. I encourage you to take the first step and attend a free, no-pressure seminar and learn all of your options. The firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen has been educating the Yuma community for over 40 years, and this is the only area of law that they practice. Sean and Adam believe in giving free education to help people make smart decisions about their assets and help them leave a legacy for their family that they can be proud of. Schedule a free personal consultation today. Call 783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com.